As we kind of come into the Christmas season, not everybody has a great Christmas season. Reading a story about a guy named Jeffrey Deskovich. Jeffrey Deskovich was sentenced to prison for 17 years for a crime that he didn't commit. You know, most people in prison would say they're there for a crime they didn't commit. But, but Jeffrey Deskovich really was an innocent man. The DNA test uh, that they had taken that was uh, com- uh, connected to his crime came back negative. But despite that, he lost seven different appeals and he lost his chance at parole until 17 years later when the actual uh, person who had committed the crime, they found the DNA and convicted him and let Jeffrey Deskovich out of prison. But he tells a story about having Christmas in prison, and it's, it's, it was not fun. He said the, the opportunities to go and make phone calls to your family was very difficult because the lines were long, and, and people would stay on the phone for longer than they were supposed to. And then even when they finished the phone, they would hand the phone off to one of their friends, one of their cellmates, or somebody else. And so you might spend all day trying to just get one of those conversations home. And when you did, it was, it was still disheartening. Because while you were excited to talk to your family, you could hear what was happening in their life on the other end of the phone where you were going back to a cell. He said meals, Christmas dinner, two slices of cold cuts, slice of cheese, an old hot dog bun, some peaches, and then soup. And the soup was really just what had been left over from the last three or four days before it had been put into a pot and, and mixed together. Not a great Christmas. You know, for other people, Christmas is a difficult time because it puts this like stress on finances because you're buying Christmas presents for family members and friends and, and it's in, the, in a budget that you really weren't prepared for. And so while you're supposed to be celebrating Christmas, you're, you're praying for that Christmas bonus. You know, that's, that's how we connect and laugh with movies like National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation where Chevy Chase is just waiting for that Christmas bonus so he can pay off the swimming pool that he's installing for his family. But instead of the bonus, he gets the Jelly of the Month Club and, and we feel that. And we're like, oh, yeah, because Christmas is financially stressful. That, There's some people in the room today, not even by name do I know, but I just know in a crowd this size that have lost someone this year. And they're walking into the Christmas holidays living a new kind of normal. Christmas isn't going to be the same as it was before. And they look around at everyone who's going about with joy and cheerfulness in the holidays and they're going, it's just different for me. Even if you didn't have moments like that, maybe it's not financially stressful. Maybe Christmas is the same as it's been for you. Some of us get so caught up in all of the busyness. You know, we, we're going and standing in lines to go Christmas shopping. And, and we we're got a stack full of Christmas cards to address that we need to send out. And we're traveling and we're, we're cooking large meals and we're cleaning up large meals. And we're doing all of the Christmas events that sometimes, sometimes we miss the point of Christmas. I know for me, a couple years ago, I think it was two years ago, that happened. Christmas was just in the chaos of all of it. I mean, we drove up to my in-laws, and they live about three hours away, and you get caught in the, the Christmas traffic going up there where everyone's in a hurry to celebrate Christmas, so they drive 40 miles an hour down I-35 because they're in that kind of hurry. And, you know, you're, you're, you're just stressed. And then you get to uh, the in-laws, and you're there for a couple of days, but you're just you're out of your rhythm. You're out of your routine. You're living out of a suitcase. It's not, it's not normal. It's, it's not your house. 
And we left my mother-in-law's and we drove to my father-in-law's Christmas in, in Granbury. And, and, and we do the Christmas exchange. And, and we have family members there that we only see like once a year. And so the conversations are they're fairly shallow. They're not real deep because we're just kind of catching up on what happened over the last 12 months. And this Christmas in particular, we were driving home from Granbury so we could get back for Christmas Eve here and Christmas uh, at home. And, and my little one, Emerson, she was about six at the time. Don't know what happened, but she got sick. And on our way from Granbury to Georgetown, uh, we took the back roads and we stopped at every little, literally every little town between Granbury and Georgetown as that, that little girl was throwing up her Christmas dinner. And we, we'd pull over and we're trying to, you know, get bags and all of that. And, and every time, bless her heart, she'd, she would throw up and she'd go, oh, I'm better now. I'm fine. It's, it's all gone. And then we'd pull into the next little town and she'd go, can we stop? And uh, I mean, it, it, it even felt so bad as we got closer and the little girl had nothing left to throw up. I'm just like, thank you, Jesus. We'll just keep on driving. But she's, you know, heaving and in the backseat and just a miserable experience. And we get home and, and we do Christmas. And as soon as Christmas is over, we pack back up and we drive to my parents' house. Again, living out of a suitcase. Other family comes in. And, and I remember that night we were supposed to stay one more night at my parents and and. and with all the family in, there was not enough room for everybody. Like, like the inn was full. And uh, we didn't go to the, the barn, but we, we just all got, got in one room. And I remember, I mean, I even wrote it in my phone. We're, we're not going to do that anymore. And like left me a reminder for a year later, say, we're just, we're just going home. And I remember going back home and sitting down. And this was, this was my thought. Thank you, Jesus, that Christmas is over. You ever felt that way? Totally missed the point of Christmas what I did. Totally missed the point because of all the busyness and the craziness that the God of creation who spoke everything into existence with just a word, the same God who, who knows every star in the sky and where it's placed and at the same time knows every hair on your head and my head, had come and left heaven and came as a baby into a manger, relegating his power to the side all so that we could find and experience salvation. I missed it. I missed the fact that the king of kings who, who came and was announced to shepherds, the ruler of the world who came and was given to first-time parents, I missed all of the miraculous, all of the miracle, because I got caught up in all of the busyness. And because of that, I missed joy. You see, joy isn't about circumstances. We find joy when we focus on the real meaning of life and why we're here. Over the course of this Advent season, we're going to be talking about love and peace. Uh, Kurt talked about that last week, and joy and hope. And the common thread over the next couple Sundays is we're going to be looking at some miracles of Jesus. And so this morning, I want us to go to Mark chapter 2, and I want us to look at a miracle of Jesus and see how we can differentiate for us happiness and joy so that we can live in joy and not happiness. Because joy is ultimately more fulfilling than happiness will ever be. If you go to Mark chapter 2, we find a story that you're probably familiar with. I'm going to read the first couple of verses. Mark chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. 
And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. Let's stop there for a second just so we can, we can just get into the story. Because I don't want us to miss the chaos that this is. We, we, we find this experience where Jesus is at a home in Capernaum and, and, and people find out that he's there. So they start, they start coming to hear him because they want to, Jesus is in town and they, they start filling this home. The home gets so full at shoulder to shoulder, people sitting down, they can't move. That even the doorway, people are outside of the door just trying to, trying to crane their neck to get in to, to see or to hear Jesus. Several years ago, I went to a, a football game out in Liberty Hill. Liberty Hill was playing Burnett, and they're rivals, but at this time they were, they were in the same district and they were big rivals too. At the time, great programs, playoff bound programs, and they, they, they lived 20 miles apart from each other. I made the mistake of showing up at that Liberty Hill football stadium. It was the old stadium, the smaller one. I showed up 15 minutes before the game, thinking that's plenty of time. When I walked in, there was not a seat in the Liberty Hill bleachers. And so I thought, well, I'll just, we'll go sit on the, the Burnett side. Nobody will know. We looked over the Burnett side, not a seat. In fact, there were people all sitting in the, uh, in, around the track in the end zones. And there were people standing all around the fence, around the entire football stadium, two and three people deep. I mean, I'm nearly six feet tall. And I was standing there, three people in front of me. And all I could see in the football game was just helmets as they moved down, not even a full helmet, just the top of the helmets. And we looked at our friends. I was like, we're, let's just, we're leaving. This is, this is ridiculous. And we left, but no one else did because they were there for that moment. Now take all those people and you start shoving them into the house because that's what's happening with Jesus. It's shoulder to shoulder. People are looking over tops and they're like, I think I, think I see Jesus. No, I think no, that's just Peter. You know, <laughs> not, not really that great. But they can hear and they're listening because they don't want to miss this moment of what might happen. And then we get introduced to five people in the story. A guy that's paralyzed and he's laying on a mat and four friends that we wish we could all have. Because when Jesus came to town, they weren't really thinking about themselves. They were thinking about their friend. And they load their friend up on a mat and they take him to Jesus thinking, hey, this is the moment. And they get to the house and, and there's just people sprawled out the front door. They can't get in. And then one of them starts thinking creatively. He's got this idea. He goes, you know, we could go up on the roof and I'm thinking, what was the paralyzed man thinking at that time? Like, hard pass, guys. No, it's okay. No. How are you going to get him on the roof? They, we're going to get up on the roof, and we'll just, we'll just dig a hole through the roof and lower him down. And the other three guys went, that's a fantastic idea. And I'm sure the paralyzed guy went, no, it's not. No. <laughs> Somehow they get him up on the roof, and they dig through the roof. And just imagine if you're there in that, in that room sweating to death because there's so many people in there because the fire marshal wasn't there to run everybody out. And all of a sudden the ceiling starts coming in on you. The fear and the panic of what's happening. And all of a sudden you see people and you see a mat come down in front of Jesus. This is a surreal moment. And look what happens next. Verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, 
take up your bed and walk? It's a rhetorical question because the answer was obvious. It's, it's much easier to look at somebody and say your sins are forgiven and to walk away because where's the proof? How do we know? There, there, somebody can say, well, you can't do that. You're a heretic. You're a blasphemer. But, but there's no evidence in it. It's just your word against my word. Yes, I forgave his sins. Well, you can't do that. Yes, I can. No, you can't. Yes, you can. Yes, I can. And so Jesus says, what's, what's harder to say? Is it harder to say your sins are forgiven or to say to somebody who's paralyzed in front of everybody to say, get up and walk? They knew the answer to that question. In verse 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like that. But here's what I want you to get. As we talk about joy, joy is not what verse 12 is speaking of. When the people are, are, are glorifying God and they're blown away because of the experience, they go, we've never seen anything like that. And, the, and they're talking about it and they're going to go out that door and they're going to tell everybody what they've seen and, and they're going to spread the news. That wasn't joy, that was happiness. Because, and here's how we know that, because in about two weeks or so, the people in that room are going to be back into their life, back into their routine. And one guy is going to go and he's going to see the numbers on his business and he's going to find out that his business is actually failing. And then he might have to shut it down and figure out what's next. And another person's having conflict with a neighbor. And another person has found conflict with a spouse and that, or, or, or with their uh, children. And now they've been separated from their children and their grandchildren. They have, they have this tension and these circumstances. And you know what doesn't happen? We know it doesn't happen because it doesn't happen with us. In the midst of the business failing, in the midst of the conflict with a neighbor, spouse, or friends, none of those people went, oh gosh, but you know what? That guy walked. Yeah, two weeks ago, that guy walked. In fact, if anything, it becomes a detriment to faith for some people. They go, well, if God did that for that person, why can't he do something for my circumstance? And happiness ebbs and flows with the circumstances of life, but joy doesn't. Because joy is found in something deeper. Joy is found in the eternal. The miracle of a man walking was the miracle of happiness. But the miracle of joy was when, the guy, when Jesus said to the guy, Son, your sins are forgiven. Because at that moment, here's what we know. The man who was paralyzed and can now walk, if you fast forward 30, 40, or 50 years, guess what? He's having trouble walking again. Jesus healed him from being paralyzed and made him walk. But you know what? His body is still the same body we have. And his body is going to begin to betray him as he gets older. And the guy that couldn't walk, that could walk, will soon move to a time of life where he can't walk. It was a circumstance. The real miracle wasn't in the healing. The real miracle was in the forgiveness of sin because that's eternal. Because that doesn't change. And when you go from not being able to walk to being able to walk to not being able to walk and your circumstances still aren't that great, you can say, you know what? Jesus at one point told me to get up and walk and I can't. But more importantly, he said, I'm forgiven and I will walk again. And when I walk again, I'm going to walk on streets of gold with the creator who made me. And in that moment is when we experience joy because joy is not about circumstances. Joy is, is found when we focus on the meaning of life, which is Jesus Christ. If you go to Paul, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, I want you to see this. 
Because Paul gives us a good picture of joy over and over again. In 2 Corinthians 4, 8, Paul says this. He says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Paul says, man, I've got some circumstances that really stink. Persecuted, perplexed, we're struck down. Paul tells us in another time, we know that he was shipwrecked multiple times. He was beaten. He was stoned to the point where they thought he was dead. Paul had some rough circumstances, but it's the same guy who wrote in Philippians chapter 1. He says, rejoice and rejoice always. And he writes those words from a prison cell. So how does the guy who's, who, who can describe his life by saying we're afflicted in every way, persecuted, struck down, I've been shipwrecked, I, I, I've had my life attempted murder taken out on my life. How does that guy find joy in a prison cell? You know, Philippians, he uses the word joy 16 times in just over 100 verses. Well, he tells us in the rest of this passage in 2 Corinthians. If you skip down chapter 4, look at verse 16. He says this. He says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, circumstances, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction, circumstances, is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, circumstances, but to the things that are unseen, For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Paul got it. And that's why Paul said, I can do all things through Christ, because he was content in in, in what God had given him. Because he had found joy, because he wasn't looking at a prison cell. He wasn't looking at attempted murder. He wasn't looking at a shipwreck. He was looking at his salvation. And he knew that these circumstances that cause happiness to ebb and flow are all temporary. But my salvation is eternal, and that brings me joy that lasts throughout any circumstance. So what do we do? Let me suggest that we we wrestle with this. I think some of us, and I admit that it's me many times, we we need to repent from making circumstances our God. You might go, well, well, I don't don't think I do that. Let me tell you what this looks like when circumstances your God. I'll use some generic examples. But if you go, you know what? If I could just get that promotion, then I'd be happy. That, that, that probably shows that either money or success is your God. If you felt or, or feeling, you know what, marriage is tough. If I, if I, you know, if I could just get out of this marriage, I would be happier than I am in this marriage. It's idolatry. If you go, man, I've had a rough day. Having a rough week, I'm, I'm going to stop by, I'm going to buy that dress, I'm going to buy those new shoes because I'm going to feel better. Buying this thing, this purchase is going to make me happy. Circumstances. Probably wrestling with the idol of image. Or, or here's the one, oh, here's the one I hope I never say because it drives me crazy when I hear it, is when parents say this about their kids. I just want my kids to be happy. Because God isn't so concerned about our happiness. He's concerned about our holiness. And as a parent, if we're trying to manipulate circumstances to make our children or our grandchildren happy, we'll never make them into disciples. 
And that's what our goal is. God has called us to be disciple makers, the primary disciple maker of our kids, not to make our kids happy. Why? Because happiness is temporary. It's circumstantial. It goes like the wind here one day and the next. But when you create a disciple in your home, you find somebody who who finds real joy. And so I don't use the word repent lightly, lightly. Some of us really need, we have to repent, turn our back on the sin of going, I've been chasing circumstances. I've been chasing happiness. I've been chasing an illusion. And I need to focus my eyes back on Jesus Christ. And here's the second thing that I'm going to be praying for us and praying for me, that we don't miss the joy of Christmas. Christmas isn't about presents. Christmas isn't about family. It's not. Those are byproducts that we can enjoy. Christmas is about a baby born in a manger. And when that baby was born in a manger, the clock to Calvary started ticking and salvation was at hand. That's what Christmas is about. It's about the Christ child, Emmanuel, God with us, who came born to die. And when we focus our attention on Jesus, we start to find joy. Because joy is not found in circumstances. It's found in focusing our attention on Christ. You know, Paul says this. Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Here's one of the things, too. There's there's things that drive me crazy sometimes when people talk about the book of Revelations. There's just one revelation. It's one, and there's not two. People talk about the fruits of the Spirit. There's not fruits of the Spirit. There is the fruit of the Spirit, singular, which means when Paul lists out that peace, joy, love, kindness, uh, self-control, gentleness, all that, if you're a believer and you have the Holy Spirit inside you, you have all of those things in you. So you can't say, well, I just don't have patience. Yes, you do. I don't, I don't have gentleness. I don't have that fruit of the Spirit. Well, then you're not saved. <laughs> Plain and simple. Because if the Holy Spirit's inside you, you got it. So how do you unlock joy, which is a fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit's living inside you, the joy of God rests inside you? How do you unlock that so that you can live it and experience it? You just take your eyes off the circumstances and you put them on Jesus Christ. Because your circumstances may not always be great. You might spend Christmas in prison like Deskovich, but you can find Christ in any circumstance. Told you the story of Jeffrey Deskovich in prison. There's another story of a guy named Roy who also spent 15 years in prison. Roy, though, wasn't just in prison in general population. He was put into solitary confinement. And he said it wasn't hard to find your way there. You didn't really have to do bad things. You just had to irritate one of the guards or do something. You could find yourself there. And he happened to be in solitary confinement during Christmas Day. Only left his cell three times a week for a five-minute shower. He said it was Christmas Day and he was reading through the Scripture because he had his Bible with him. And he was reading about Paul being in prison like we talked about. He said, I begin to ask, God, can I really experience Christmas in this type environment? And as he was praying that and talking to the Lord, he heard a voice coming through the vent above his toilet. It wasn't God. It was another inmate who was on the other side of the vent. And the guy said, Merry Christmas, Roy. Roy said, Merry Christmas, Andrew. And Andrew said, hey, do you know any Christmas songs? And Roy said, of course I do. And Andrew said, I'll sing one if you sing one. And Andrew started singing Joy to the World. Sang every verse. And Roy would chime in on the chorus. 
And when they got done with that, Roy started singing Silent Night. And Andrew was singing back and forth through the vents that connected those bathrooms. And then they sang, Oh, come all you faithful. And then they sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and had their own Christmas service with two solitary confinement cells just connected by a vent. And Roy said it was in that moment that he experienced Emmanuel, God with us. He says the moment that God said, you can experience Christmas in the cell because I'm here. Two different prison experiences. One focused on phone calls and one focused on food. And the other focused on Jesus. Guess which one found joy? In a moment, we're going to have an invitation. We're going to have an opportunity. The, the worship leaders will come up and we're going to sing. And I just wonder if there's not somebody in here who is missing out on joy. Not necessarily the joy of Christmas. Could be that. But you're missing out on the joy of life. Because you've got so many circumstances that are not ideal. If you're a believer, we've already talked about what, what you're called to do is it's to repent. It's come back and confess, Lord, I have focused on circumstances and not you. But I just wonder if there's somebody in here this morning that's never had, never come to a point in their life where they decided to follow Christ. They decided to make the focus of their life not themselves and their circumstances, but to make the focus of their life Jesus. You know, there'll be no better Christmas that you'll ever experience than your first one as a believer.